As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, yours. Is there anything like May football? It's just, I listen, folks, I know maybe you love the regular season. Maybe you're even excited when the preseason comes around. Sure, training camp is nice. But, man, a good OTA, a good list of OTA takeaways, truly unrivaled, at least if you're talking about specifically only football in the month of May. That's what we're talking about here today, though, on Times Ours. I'm Joshua Briscoe with Nate Taylor and Seth Kaiser. We will talk about some of uh, Nate's takeaways, being out there back on the field again for OTAs. Seth has written about a fan favorite and also would like to talk, I'm sure, about someone who he thinks would be a fan favorite here in Kansas City if he were, in fact, to get here. And uh, guys, just so you both know, just so I don't, Shannon Sharp, either of you, we are recording a podcast Mm. right now. Anything you say will and uh, will just will be held against you, honestly, will be recorded and held against you. Okay, so I'm gonna just take that information and I'm I'm going to stay here. I am not getting out of there. Um, I'm, I'm going to continue to do the job that I love because <laughs> I love it. Um, to be fair, uh, I'm kind of with Shannon Sharp. I'm like, this just makes good television, dog. Just keep it rolling. <laughs> like, there, I don't know if people remember this. There was the, uh, the famous skit by Dave Chappelle on The Chappelle Show where... I don't want to give too much away, but you know the premise of the of the sketches. We're doing an interview, and it's very important. And the subject matter, the interviewee starts crying. <laughs> Dave Chappelle's like, "Turn it off, Frank! Turn it off!" And then you see him as a person's got their head down, you know, acting like they're crying emotionally. He he points to Frank and goes, "Keep it rolling, baby. Keep keep the camera rolling." You know, so uh, I, I completely understand what Shannon Sharp was doing. He's just like, well, if he picks up the phone, guess what we have? A great television show. And he picked up the phone. So um, I don't want to get into the whole legal situation, although I know who Seth is. But <laughs> it was enjoyable. And, hey, I was on some practice fields yesterday, fellas, for the first time in months. And for the first time, uh, because thankfully, um, 
not only is the majority of the media core in town uh, fully vaccinated, uh, several members of the team, I would say it, it's fair to say that the majority of both Chiefs players, coaches, officials, staff members, athletic training staff, equipment staff, like the majority of everyone in that group is 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 vaccinated. And so uh, I got to watch football without a mask, which I'm telling you, I hadn't done since Super Bowl 54. Yeah. So it was uh it was it was exciting to be out there. Um I think Chiefs fans should feel really good because if you want to compare your team to the rest of the league, about half uh Team, about half of teams are really like doing some version of OTA workouts. Um, and we here at The Athletic have kind of kept track of the numbers in terms of the attendance and who's been mm-hmm. going to these uh, to these workouts to some degree. And again, as Steve Spagnuolo once called them, they, they are pajama practices. Guys mm-hmm. are in sweats. They're in shorts. Uh, but they do have a helmet on. So, you know, be it that. Uh, but the Chiefs had over 80 players who at least participated for one day out of their 90-man roster. Um, so that's a really good sign. Um, and Andy Reid's getting back into his normal routine, um, which kind of spells doom for everybody in the NFL, in my opinion, <laughs> if these guys are really working on new things um, the way they say they do. Because um, we as reporters, we get to see them Thursday of an OTA week. So they'll they'll do three OTA weeks uh, yesterday, Thursday, the 27th, was the first. So I'll be out there next Thursday and then the following Thursday. And then you get into the mandatory minicamp, which is fully open to reporters each day. So um, I asked our friend Adam Teicher of ESPN.com. I was like, I just have to remind myself because we didn't have this last year, guys. Uh, we We were just trying to get a grasp and understanding of how just chaotic and deadly the virus was. So I asked Adam, I was like, just remind me. Because they've already done stuff on Tuesday, Wednesday, this is essentially a boys just don't get hurt day. Mm-hmm. Like, just, just, <laughs> we actually have things we want to get to on Tuesday. Got some things we want to maybe clean up, maybe look at on Wednesday. Thursday is, all right, here's some other stuff. But the priority was clearly Tuesday and Wednesday. So, hey, there's a reason where reporters get to see all of Thursday's practices. <laughs> now, there's a lot that you can glean from that. Right. But, <laughs> but Adam basically was like, yeah, man, like, like I don't know what we're going to see up until mandatory minicamp, but the fact that they're going to have one is super exciting. And now we have a baseline to start with from yesterday. Seth, how are you feeling about uh, the variety of things going on right now? The fact that you ate a habanero pepper for no real reason yesterday, mm. which is not, by the way, not. Seth fulfilling the ghost pepper that he will have to eat based off of a dumb thing that he said on this show shortly after I was forced to be tased or I I committed to being tased, which still hasn't happened yet because Seth hasn't been in in, uh, a a couple miles of me yet, which is going to be the thing that ultimately decides my fate. I feel good. Um, (laughs) I feel better than I did around 645 last night. Um, That was... That was rough. And I just want to say, Josh, I really appreciate you coming on to RGR football with me just to just to view that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to come. Like, Ryan asked me, like, one question about Bashad Breland, and I almost just shook him off, like a pitcher who got a sign he didn't want from the catcher. Like, yeah. no, no, no. Ask me about Seth being in pain. That's no, where no, I'm, an I'm here. I'm here to look horrified. It's actually the first time I've ever seen you look like – Horrified would be the wrong word. Yeah. But you 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 looked 
dare I say concerned, <laughs> where you're just like, I'm not sure this is okay. So that was kind of fun. Um, but I feel okay. Made it through court today. I'm fine, I guess. Um, the <laughs> habaneros are in, habaneros are indeed very, very hot. Um, so, I mean, I guess for a shameless plug, if you check out on RGR Football, we do a weekly live stream from 6 to 7. That's up uh, there on RGR Football. You can see about the 45-minute mark. I I do that with my with my oldest son, Tucker. He he braved it with me. Um, I think and he braved – by the way, he did he braved it with you in part, I think, you know, because his admitted favorite analyst of the group, maybe the person who's currently speaking, was there on the call – uh, big big win name. for me, big loss for you. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I told him he couldn't say me. So. Uh huh. Yeah. No, and I'm sure he was going to. <laughs> uh, probably. So yeah. Um. So with regards to all the stuff going on, I mean, it, it's cool to see all the participation they're getting. Um, the offensive line stuff continues to be what intrigues me most, and obviously, all you can really learn is who's lining up where, and by learn. I'm speaking pretty fast and loose there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is cool to see football back. And I agree with Nate. You know, the Chiefs getting back into a routine is not great news for the rest of the league. Um, I, I just, a lot's going to hinge on the reports that come out about that offensive line. A lot rises and falls because the Chiefs are going to have a really good offense, um, barring that offensive line being a disaster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the ceiling from really good to holy crap is largely on that line because if that line plays well, that's going to be problematic. So I'm excited. Lots of cool stuff going on. Um, I'm set to attend the home opener. And, and so things feel like they're starting to fall back into place to a lot of normalcy. And that's 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 a nice feeling. Um, Nate, I want to start with just some of the things that you saw out there, and then we can kind of move to some of the more big picture stuff. But since all this just happened, um, you can read Nate's story about the first round of OTAs up on The Athletic right now. There's some there's some specific stuff about, you know, the guys that we heard talk, and Tyron Matthew basically told us not to read his tweets because they don't mean anything, and he may delete them, and that's his prerogative, <laughs> but, like, you know, it's still your tweets. Um, he might change his number next year. Anthony Hitchens is a little skinnier and is going to bulk up over the course of training camp. Orlando Brown is wearing Breland Speaks' old number, and I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried. Stop asking me if I'm worried about it. I'm not. I'm not projecting right now. Uh, of all of those kind of things from the uh, from the press conferences, we also got the update on Patrick Mahomes. So that Andy Reid said he was a, a full go whenever he was out there, but he wasn't out there for the full week because he went to Hawaii for a, a golf a charity golf tournament he's hosting. From that, from kind of that section there, with with a little bit of a, a quick roundup by me, what what stuck out to you as maybe being the most important thing or most interesting thing from kind of that section of the post OTA pressers and whatnot? Yeah, no, it's it's I'm gonna give. Um, some background information. So uh, this is the time of the year where um, the four core writers who were able to watch practice yesterday, where we kind of work together. Um, and you, and you kind of need to do this so that you get the proper information as possible, because I think much like you both alluded to Josh and Seth, like everybody kind of wants to know about the offensive line. Mm-hmm. So based on team policies in association with the pro football writers of America, <laughs> um, you have to ask the coach because, you know, the Chiefs would like to say, there's no depth chart. We have no depth chart mm-hmm. until training camp. There's no, there are no ones. There are no twos. That sentence was said 
multiple times yesterday, even though we know what we know. So <laughs> it's up to me, Adam Teicher, Herbie Tiope, and Matt Derrick to say, okay, who you going to take? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what are you going to ask the coach so that we know? Um, so we handled ourselves accordingly. We are a veteran group. Uh, so Chiefs fans can get their, their information in a proper, appropriate manner. And I can tell you for a fact, kids, that the starting center right now is Green Humphreys. I'm oh. just saying. Oh, I'm just saying. He's oh. with the ones. He was with the ones yesterday. Um, there was no Laurent Duvet Tardif. Mm-hmm. Again, this is voluntary. He can do whatever the bleep he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, I'm assuming he's still in Canada training. He's been training, uh, He's been increasing his training from what my understanding is over the last couple of months. So that's obviously a good sign as he, uh, you know, but we we expect to see him for mandatory minicamp. I should just say that briefly. Yeah, um, real quick on LDT, just because I've been on his Instagram recently. He obviously, uh-huh. I don't, and I don't think we've actually said this in the show. He said he's planning on being back and he's got, there's just somewhere in Canada, there's a squat rack that Woo! he is putting all of the weight on and putting on Instagram. So if you're worried about him being in football shape, you can go look at his Instagram and you will stop being worried about it. I promise. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Josh. Uh, so without LDT, Kyle Long's at right guard because Andy Reese said that out his mouth. Um, Mike Rimmers is he's got the inside track. We kind of knew that going in uh, to even the Yote portion, but Mike Rimmers right now is a starting right tackle or with the ones because <laughs> it came out of Andy Reid's mouth. And everybody knows that Joe Tooney is the left guard and Orlando Brown is the left tackle. That is where we're starting from. There will be changes, of course, along the way. Maybe Austin Blythe gets a lot of time with the ones next week just because they want to rotate in a certain direction. Could be the same for Lucas Niang. Um, we will see when Laurent Duvet Tardy come back. But I think that is the biggest thing beyond what we learned Tuesday through the Chiefs uh, social media videography department, um, that Patrick Mahomes was obviously in town on Tuesday. He threw the ball without any real, I, I don't want to say pain, because he's still quote-unquote in rehab. Um, and it's going to take him a while, as I wrote in The Athletic. It's going to take him a while to be fully healthy, but the hope is that that is going to be the case when training camp starts in late July. But look, he threw the ball well. Uh, he ran around. He did some of his scramble drills, sidearm throws, um, it looked like he was throwing the ball pretty deep based on photos from Chiefs.com. Um, <laughs> some fans can glean that, hey, there was one rep where uh, Nicole Hardman beat LeJarrius Sneed on a deep pattern and and caught the ball um, to win the rep. So take that what you will, but Patrick Mahomes seems to be Patrick Mahomes. And obviously he flew like, I mean, he must have gotten the shower had all his clothes packed, <laughs> got on a plane, got to LA, got that VIP, roll it out. I need the I need the cops on motorcycles <laughs> to get me to the Staples Center. <sighs> and this is where my worlds collide, kids, because I used to cover the Indiana Pacers the last time they were relevant with Paul George. And man, things change quickly in that league. Like mm-hmm. you think, you think it changed quickly in the NFL, and it it, it goes in, it goes as quickly as that. But it's it's starting to be that way in the NBA, where Patrick Mahomes is out here cackling at Kawhi championship littered <laughs> in Paul two way player George because Luka Doncic is taking practice threes in your eye off your <laughs> left foot. 
And then he gets dapped up. And the Mavericks are like, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Dallas legend, mm-hmm. alongside Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, what <laughs> what world are we in? Uh, he got his super dapped up. Uh, he packs more clothes on Wednesday. Maybe saw some family. Went down to, you know, Tyler for a bit. Flew out to Hawaii. Um, his golf tournaments today, kids. Uh, and if you're probably wondering, Travis Kelsey's with them too. And I'm tr- and, we, and we're trying to tell McCole Hartman, do whatever it takes to get you to Hawaii. You want to get them targets up? Come on! You better start babysitting. And I'm not joking. Uh, so, so I think those are the two takeaways. Um, I, I asked Andy Reid about the defensive line. And uh, I kind of gave a little slither for people if, if you read closely. Because, again, they're not padded practices. They're not, like, going fully. It's really hard to evaluate offensive defensive lines beyond the, hey, he looks coordinated. Looks like they know what they're doing. <laughs> Holy smokes. Don't don't touch him. Why? No, don't get hurt. Um, <laughs> don't get hurt. <laughs> but God Andy, dang it, why did you touch him? <laughs> <laughs> but Andy Reid mentioned that, hey, he was pretty impressed with the defensive line, even though Frank Clark uh, was not there. Because, again, kids, this is voluntary. He can do whatever the bleep he wants right now. <laughs> um, but there was one rep where Chris Jones just blew right by Orlando Brown. And it was like, okay, I'm I'm in now. I want to see Chris Jones play DN on first down. Like, I'm just, I'm here for it. Uh, and then a few repetitions later, Orlando Brown understood, oh, Chris Jones is, is really good. Um, and, and picked up his footwork better and got a more proper position to, like, have a successful snap, rep, whatever you want to call it, if this was actually a real live scrimmage football game, whatever. Um, so, I think Mahomes being okay and then the offensive, defensive lines are what ultimately matter most. And then everything else surrounding that, we can kind of get into. But, it's again, it's just the baseline. It's just the start between now and mandatory minicamp. We'll all have a much greater understanding of, like, what the actual true depth chart is. But, hey, we got we got a good start, even though, like, the first 20 minutes I was out there, boys, whoo, I felt like I was out of shape. I'm like, <laughs> it's 90 players. Not 90, but, like, you know, I got a 90-minute roster, so there's 80 guys out there. You got to keep track of them all. Then you got to figure out, like, who's doing what with who. And I heard Greg Lewis's voice, and I was like, why is he talking to Jared McKee? Oh, that's right. He's the running backs coach now. You know, like, you just you you just have to get into a rhythm. And so at least it's a decent start. Um, but I think, I think knowing that Orlando Brown is going to just play differently mm. here than in, 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 in Baltimore is super fascinating. Which we already knew, but yeah. it was it was cool to see it for the first time. That that was something that that came up both to him and to uh, to Andy Reid. I think those are were both uh, Seren Petro questions from from the esteemed Sports Radio Eight Ten, mm-hmm. and uh, and I I thought hearing both of them talk about that was pretty interesting. Where uh, this is something said we we talked about, you wrote about, and, and we talked about on this show certainly is the idea that he will have to play a little bit differently, but also, like, I, I think the Chiefs are going to not ask him. If if they – here's what I'll say. If the Chiefs traded for Orlando Brown, and then as soon as they he gets here, they start trying to make him play like Eric Fisher, the Chiefs are a dumber organization than they thought. <laughs> and I don't think that they're a dumb organization. I, I also don't think that they're going to change everything for Orlando Brown. I have to imagine, and, and Seth, if you disagree with me here, I'm going to be – 
both a little surprised. I'm also gonna have to go back to the drawing board on some things, but I have to imagine there's gonna be some meeting in the middle on, this is what Orlando Brown Jr. has been elite at to this point. This is over here, some different stuff that the Chiefs have asked their tackles to be elite at. I, I imagine that this, this off is gonna be kind of finding finding that middle ground between those two things from from those two perspectives. Would you Would you sign off on that? Yeah, I think so. And if you'd like to expand on that, all, you'd be more than welcome to. No, no thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, the fascinating thing with Brown is that just because he didn't do certain things in Baltimore doesn't mean that he can't. And so there's a really good example that Nate just talked about and he wrote about in his excellent coverage of uh, OTAs, as always there, Mr. Taylor, quite excellent. Um the the fact that you know Jones blows by him with 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 speed once you know it'd be really easy for fans to read into that oh my gosh you know he's not fast enough to keep with Jones he's going to get killed by edge rushers which would be silly but you know that's what we do right with OTAs a good rep for one guy is a bad rep for another guy right you really get to see whether people are glass half full or glass half empty during OTAs like <laughs> in training camp it's like oh Tyreek Hill looks unstoppable oh, our safeties are in trouble you know just it's so fun. Um, what's worth noting is that Brown adjusted his footwork a little bit to anticipate it and that he was able to. And that's what's interesting is that, that he can, right? Because Jones has a remarkably quick first step uh, for a defensive tackle and even for a defensive end. He's explosive and he's got the ability to account for that. Brown once had a very long Twitter thread talking about um, his really terrible combine performance. And how that dropped him and talked a lot about how, you know, while yes, athleticism does matter for linemen, angles are so much more important and, and understanding where you need to be and in relationship to the quarterback. And it reminded me a lot of the way Mitch Schwartz talks about the game, right? Cause Mitch Schwartz is not an elite athlete either in terms of his feet. Um, he's just not a great athlete, but he's an incredible tackle because he always was in the right place at the right time. So I think you're going to see. It, the first month or two is going to be really interesting and none of it's going to be anything we're going to be able to see, sadly. Um, we might be able to make some judgments at training camp, but really we're not going to know until games whether or not he's adjusted well to what they want from him. When I would watch him in Baltimore, it looks like he has the ability to do the things the Chiefs want them to do. But like you said, it's going to look different from Eric Fisher. I think you're going to see more aggressive sets from Brown trying to get hands on guys soon and meet them, you know, at the point of attack rather than, you know, taking a complete vertical set, right. which is what Fisher did almost every time. Right. Fisher very rarely used like a jump set, for example. Um, if you want to read about more of this different type of sets and stuff, uh, Brandon Thorne's Substack is an incredible place to start. Um, and you can, you, you, with, with Brown, it's really a matter of getting hands on and being so wide and so powerful that guys, even if, you know, he gets that initial set and they manage to start to get to half a man and start to get around him, he's powerful enough to use that left arm to hold people at bay and then reset and get back in front of someone. So say with Jones, for example, if Brown adjusted his footwork to account for a speed rush, in theory, Jones should then, you know, shift to a power move. Right. And Chris Jones's power moves are a problem for tackles. Like, he just runs through them. It's hilarious. Um, but the fact that he didn't or couldn't, because not like Jones doesn't know this. And again, this is OTAs. No one's getting too crazy here, especially with the power moves, because 
You know, can you imagine, you know, you bowl some guy over and, oh, torn ACL, like, whew. Um, but the fact that he can do that and account for speed, but still have the power to slow down a guy like Jones, who is absolutely more powerful than any defensive end he'll face. That's a good sign. And that allows you to do those things. His natural traits allow him to do those things that they're going to ask him to do. In theory, in practice, we'll see. A couple other little things. Nate, you mentioned Jarek McKinnon as one of your OTA observations, is a guy who makes a lot of sense as being mm-hmm. the third down back on this team, especially because last year that was not something they even really seemed to want Clyde to be doing all that much of, where Clyde's going to be a first, second down guy, and then it was Darrell Williams or a little bit of Le'Veon Bell, but mostly Darrell Williams last year. I think that's kind of interesting. You wrote about Cornell Powell a little bit um, and McCole Hardman, uh, kind of from the skill position guys offensively. Which one of those was your, your favorite of the takeaways from yesterday? Yeah, it's a little bit because he's new and because I know – Going into what my fourth year covering this team on a day to day basis, I kind of know what an OTA practice should look like and where the pressure points are. Into I want to see this so that I know what to do next week or mandatory mini camp, or okay, I can save that for training camp. Um, what's fascinating to me about McKinnon is uh, this is one of those cases where it benefits you. For Clyde not to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it sounds weird. Because <laughs> it's like, hey, he's he, he's just coming off his rookie season. Um, we know he played, you know, the Super Bowl through, obviously, the ankle and the hip injuries. Um, and so, hey, if he needs some time or he just wants to take his mind off football. Again, these are voluntary. If he wants to go down and fish, because that boy be out there fishing, do your thing. <laughs> For McKinnon, it was like, and I know. Sometimes this gets blown out of proportion because it's May. It is all we have. But they're like, do you know that they think he might be the next Le'Veon Bell? He's out here running wide receiver routes. I, I want somebody to take it to the next step and be like, you know, he even flipped the field a couple times and played some slot corner, played some nickel. <laughs> <laughs> then he went over to the third field, did some punt return, kickoff returns. Hell, we may even give him a chance to throw the football a couple times a game. Like, I, I just want somebody to like go all like, like do the super utility player for an OTA. Just be like, hey, coach, I want to play safety, DB, running back, tailback, uh, H back, tight end. Like, I just want to play everything. But I'm not totally sure who it's going to be, but somebody in Jacksonville is going to do that. It's oh. probably Tebow. <laughs> it's probably Tebow. But, it, but it's going to be somebody. <laughs> Look, guys, I know you're angry that Tim Tebow is in the league. That's okay. He can't make the roster, right? You you know that, right? Like, I'm more upset can't. about them drafting Travis Etienne where they did. I like honestly. the uh, I like I like that you added a caveat there. Like it's okay, it's okay. He's not gonna make it, right? He's not like, gonna make it, right? Like, uh, so you, he would he would need injuries to two guys at his position. He would need to make it through a camp, playing a new position and preseason games. We assume um, he would not have to be. Tim Tebow off the field or in the locker room to some degree, um, he would have to show his worth at a extremely high level considering the odds against him. But I mean, if you want to be upset, that's okay. Like that's okay. He can't make the roster, right? I, um, I have practice a take squad? On this. Practice squad. I, I have a take on this. We all know that I'm team chaos and I have grown to love 
in kind of like a Stockholm syndrome type way, the hellscape that is Twitter. <laughs> um, it's it's a very useful app for many many things, but it's a hellscape. I mean, it's 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 a great app that is a hellscape, and I think both of those things can be true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I'm just here for chaos because one of the, my favorite things is when things unfold in a way that just makes everyone flip out. Like, you know, when, when the Chiefs traded for Orlando Brown and before it kind of became about a debate between, you know, the value of draft picks versus a, a proven player and all that stuff, the initial reaction of, of a lot of people was, are you bleeping kidding me? Why would the Ravens do this? Like, why would they give Patrick Rowe? He doesn't have a left tackle. They gave him a left tackle. Why would they do that? That's so stupid. Like, and it's so much fun. And every time something like that happens, um, you know, when they would they would manage to sign guys, you know, that they didn't think they could and you had you, they can't keep getting away with this type of stuff. I'm here for all that action. Because of that, you know what I'm rooting for? I'm rooting for like a thousand yard season from Tim Tebow somehow. Now it's not gonna happen. But can you imagine the taste? What if he what if he honestly, and this may be the best case scenario, what if he became Mike Allstott all of a sudden? Just just what? This what if I know I know locking fullback? I know who like I, also could just run like a that would be amazing. That'd be amazing. And look, kids, I know we too often make comp player comps based on complexion. That being said, <laughs> it, would, it would be amazing if he was Mike Allstott for like one season. I'm getting more of a Wes Welker vibe from him, honestly. Uh, yeah, was, why? Hey, yeah, it's really man, Mike Allstott. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe he's a poor man's George Kittle, or maybe he's what well, could it be? Tony Richardson? No, 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 no. Well, too easy, easy there, fella. Why not? I don't understand. Kind of like a Travis Kelsey. What about like a Jason Dunn? Never. No, no, How dare you? How dare you disrespect his name? I know that has nothing to do with the Chiefs. I just the chaos thing. It's the same reason why I keep pushing for the Chiefs to somehow. And I don't think it'll happen, but somehow insanely trade for Julio Jones. Just because can you imagine the atmosphere surrounding that as like division rival fans are like, what the crap are we supposed to do now? Like, let's let's follow that. Let's follow. We all want to go there. Let's take me there. Seth. Go ahead. Take me there. OK, here's the deal. If you think Julio Jones has been injury prone, go to pro football reference. Yes, we all have access to it. It's not it's if a free website. Think, if you think Julio Jones lost a step last season. Go to Pro Football Reference or or just, I mean, Game Pass, are they still doing that thing where it's like free right now for everyone? I don't think they are anymore. Probably not. But just look at Game Pass or read, just just look up his name on Twitter because a lot of analysts have kind of like, you know, Doug Farrar wrote about this a little bit. He's like, you know, people are talking like, I get Julio's 32, but he was awesome last year. So let's get this out of the way. Last year, he was still Julio. Julio. Yeah, he's still Julio. <laughs> all, all caps. And Julio for a, like almost a decade has been that receiver that when everyone's talking about the best receivers in the league, it's like, well, yeah, probably besides Julio. Because he is a factory-built demigod of a wide receiver. And everyone knows it. So, yeah, he's coming off an injury. So, you know, there's injury concerns. Look into it. I am so here for the idea of, of the Chiefs quadrupling down on offense and saying, hey, we've got probably, hopefully, a few more years, hopefully four more years, maybe. Um, but, you know, maybe not. We'll see what happens with, like, Tyreek Hill's contract and stuff. Of having arguably the best receiving tight end in history 
one of the best deep threats in history and an elite wide receiver with Patrick Mahomes. It's not going to last forever, people. I am here for adding one of the greatest receivers in history <laughs> to that room. And how you couldn't be is beyond me. The cap hit isn't that bad considering how good he is. I mean, just how could you not be? And th- here's how I want to argue for it. And I want to hear your guys' thoughts too, because I know I'm way too much like, ah, let's, let's let, you know, I would just say we are a mist and let tomorrow worry about itself. <laughs> I'm, I'm mishmashing James and Matthew right there. So there you go. You got a two for New, one New Testament reference. Uh, reference on yeah. times are as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, every now and then I got to let people know that I'm, that I'm at least somewhat up to date. Um, <laughs> so the, 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 the crazy thing, I only think about like the next two years or so because so many things change. It's like, well, in, you know, in three years, they might, okay, well, in three years, a lot of crap might happen. I don't, I mean, what are we doing here? That's terrible life advice, good advice when thinking about football. Also so, very, very uh, Shanahan of you. Very Kyle Shanahan of you. We could all be yeah, dead on yeah. Sunday, you know? Who knows? We could, yeah, yeah. Who knows if we'll all even be alive? It's like, I think Kyle Shanahan just threatened the entire press corps. Like, <laughs> um, but I just, I, I want you to think of it this way. If you were a Raiders fan, and Josh, I think you and I might have talked about this. If you were like a Raiders fan, a Broncos fan, or a Chargers fan, what would you want the Chiefs to do? Would you want the Chiefs to hang on to that 2023 first rounder? Would you want them? Would you would you be like, oh no, they didn't trade for Julio and they still have that first rounder? Oh, woe is us. We're doomed. They've kept their value. Or would you be like, oh, thank God they didn't get Julio? I would want them to uh, have Demarcus Robinson be the first guy up if Tyreek Hill gets hurt. Is what I would want, or, or McCole Hart. That, if I was a Raiders fan, that's what I would. That's what I would want. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to give a quick shout out to a tweet that I got from somebody with a stat that I had not realized. And then I want to ask, Nay, I want to ask you about it in a very specific way. Um, but Jordan on Twitter at Max Sween 3382 said, uh, there are 239 days between the birth of Julio Jones and Travis Kelsey. And mm. apparently that's the exact amount that makes you old because nobody ever <laughs> talks about Travis Kelsey around here being old. And somebody responded by saying what that really is, is, you know, injuries or wear and tear or whatever. But if you, if you, and this is also not, not always good advice, but if I were to say, hey, the Chiefs right now are considering trading Travis Kelsey to clear out his cap hit and they could get a first round pick back for him. If you could find me one Chiefs fan within the sound of my voice who would sign up for that deal, I would be really surprised. I shouldn't say Mm -hmm. one. I would say 10%. Now, if you flip that for Julio Jones and say, would you give up a first to uh, and acquire that cap space, that that cap hit to uh, add Julio? I think right now the majority of Chiefs fans are saying, nah, I'll pass. 
And look, man, I'm I'm here to talk about salary cap stuff and draft pick. People know that about me at this point if you listen to this show. Like I'm I'm intrigued by all of that. Um, even though I'm not necessarily, you know, worshiping at either side of the of the altar on it's all meaningless or it's all vital. But I thought that as a thought experiment was was sort mm-hmm. of interesting. Um yes. and Nate, the thing that I would I would ask you is why is it that the Chiefs aren't on any of these lists of be- of biggest odds or yeah. really in most Please conversations. Say Please say things I want to hear. Please say things I want to hear. Come on, Nate. Say things I want to hear. There are five or six teams and, and the Chiefs really aren't in any of those loops. Just right say now. it, Nate. All right. Here, here, here's here's how, how it's going to work. I'm going to break this down as simple as I can. Um, first, thank you, Jordan. Um, oh, my gosh. Tra- I'm so nervous. Sorry. I've been, I've been trying to tell people for two years now that, that – Travis Kelsey, we'll see how long he can elongate his his prime. Mm-hmm. But it's clear that they – and this is why I was shouting from the heavens that they needed to draft a tight end at some point because mm-hmm. uh, they have no margin for error if that dude got hurt in 19 or last year. They have mm-hmm. no margin for error. Um, yeah. And uh, shout out to the people who realize this. Uh, you've never seen Patrick Mahomes play a semi-important game without Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Never yeah. forget this. Uh, the the one time he played oh. without Travis Kelsey was his was his debut in week mm-hmm. seventeen of twenty seventeen. Okay, um, so he matters immensely. But yes, he is in football terms, he is old. He is in the same boat as Julio Jones. The difference is he is a champion. He has been consistent. He's done something that no tight end has ever done in the history of this league in terms of consistency, productivity, and just. Flat out, as I tell Josh sometimes on his show, almost entirely sports, he be working these dudes that don't look like him. (laughs) (laughs) Now, with Julio Jones, he would be almost in a same category had the world's greatest collapse in the Super Bowl not happened, okay? Mm-hmm. Because he was incredible in that game. Oh, and honestly, that catch was one honest, of the best catches I've ever seen. Honestly, nobody ever talks about it anymore. Honestly, I understand to some degree why Kai Shanahan was like, uh, we out here dunking on these dudes. Why would I not keep throwing the football? Problem is, the worst thing that can happen to you is a strip sack fumble. Oh, there it goes, kids. Mm-hmm. So... Look, I, I get it, but like they threw the ball to him and he was incredible. He was really, really good last year, but you can start to see this is the beginning of the end of the prime. It's just a question now of how long can you extend it or maintain it before the true drop-off really occurs. So that's the question when it comes to, okay, now we can talk about trade compensation. Mm-hmm. The reason the Chiefs are not involved in this right now is they there it is not advantageous for them to pick up the phone, in my opinion, right now, based mm. on how I read things from the landscape of the league. Um, the Falcons have one week. June will come. They will have an opportunity to get a real sense of what the market is for Julio Jones. You need to get to June, okay? Everybody understands this. Um if you acquire this player, he may or may not be ready for a mandatory mini camp, depending on when you acquire him. So it's mostly a training camp situation. You may take it all the way to training camp if you don't like what your initial offers are. That's where the, you know, the push and pull sort of comes from. From a Chiefs standpoint, if they want to make a phone call in June, because Brett Veach, based on Andy Reid, has always been willing to at least make some attempt. So you can always take faith in that, Seth. 
no matter who is on the market, whether you know it or you don't, the Chiefs have made a phone call or two to some degree. Now, it may not go much further beyond that, but in terms of a compensation for a possible deal, and then I'm going to get to why it's probably not going to happen. Uh, they are more willing than other teams to give up a first-round pick because um, as someone in the organization told me, uh, you can just put 10 to 12 wins on our on our schedule already. Mm. That will win. Mm. Has the schedule came out yet? No. Just put 10 to 12. <laughs> okay, well, well, why? Because we have Andy Reid. Mm. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we move on from that. So you know you're going to have it be in the low first round. Uh, Brett Veach has said this quote a couple times. When you're always picking late in the first round, end quote. So they would be more willing to do that. Now, one thing that they've sort of shown lately and what Baltimore basically realized they had to do to get Orlando Brown off their hands because he wasn't going to sign another contract with them and was going to, you know, not be not be a friend in the locker room if Mm -hmm. he had to show up to work. They wanted a pick swap, which is basically, hey, we give you the one, you give us the two, we can move on with our day. So is that pick swap a one and a three? But the reason this is not going to happen is Atlanta, if they decide to make this move, which appears to be the case, they need they need pick collections, not pick swaps. Okay, um, mm. they also understand too that they want to do right by Julio. This may this may help the Chiefs to some degree, but I think Julio wants to go elsewhere. Um, he's not really eyeing the Chiefs, from what I understand right now. Um, so that does not work in your favor if you're a Chiefs fan. And look. As we said before, it's really hard to learn this offense in year one as a receiver because you're just not running the X. You're just not running the Ra. You're just not running the Z. And if you're going to find out about McCall Hartman, this is this is it. This is the year. Um, so there may not be an urgency to go get a player, even though you know that player, if he is in your system and he does stay healthy, would obviously lead to success. These are the reasons this isn't going to happen. Two other things really quick. Seth, we already saw the one chaotic year with Tim Tebow. I just looked it up. This man beat the Chiefs with two completions, dog. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> with two that. completions. I, that I, was crazy. I, I, typed, I typed Tim Tebow space two, and Google was like, say no more. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Boom. Here it is, dog. Um, do you realize the Broncos – had to win every game in the most Disney not cute way to make the playoffs. Then he threw for 100 yards against the Steelers. Woo, what a time. We don't need another season like that. But hey, if he wants his Mike All-Star 1,000-yard receiving, how is he doing the year? I mean, I guess. And then the other thing, which started this whole roundup, Jared McKinnon played, did I say his name right? Jared McKinnon? Yeah, yeah. I can, I can never get these. I, there's too many names. Anyway, McKinnon's- Mick, Yeah, or it, yeah, like yeah. McKinnon is really interesting because uh, he did some Miko Hardman things that you've seen before. He did some Clyde Everest things that you've seen before. Um, he has, again, this is a pajama practice, but he looks the part. And because he was spread around so much, I wrote that it seems like he's picking up the offense pretty quickly so that even though Clyde isn't here, that's cool because, hey, did you look up this play? Cool, we're running it right now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> hey, what's this guy supposed to do? Hey, switch with switch with McKinnon. Okay, you go over there, do this. Like, hey, can you play in this? You want to play? In the, you want to run this in the trips? All right, be one of the trips receivers. Hey, you want to do the jet sweep stuff? 
Cool. All right, let's have him run a deep route. I mean, it was it was it was really really fun. Um, the question with him, of course, comes durability and age over time. So again, it's early, but I like him. Um, and lastly, I think <sighs> I don't want to assume. My entire job, kids, is based on not assuming anything as best I can as a human. But, man, it's hard not to think that they just watched tape of Clemson's offense last year and was like, (laughs) yo, that is Sammy Watkins. That's Sammy. Hey, hey, when can we get him? Can we we get him in the draft, right? I mean, if if we maneuver this thing the right way. I mean, we love Sammy. I mean, Brett loves Sammy. Sammy loves Andy. Pat loves everybody. But we could get the next Sammy. I'm not saying he's going to be Sammy Watkins. But man, does he look like Sammy Watkins out there running routes? He Powell is an interesting kind of wild card in that because it, you know, the team hasn't gone out of its way to say it, but there does seem to be more hopes pinned in him than you might expect given where he was drafted. Although what's interesting is considering his production last year, it, he, he fell farther than one might think in the draft. Um, and I do like that you brought up McCole Hardman. I was pushing for McCole Hardman all last off season. I ran out of energy. <laughs> I, <laughs> I still think all I still think all that same stuff that I said last off season is true. All that talent is there. He's got he's got quick feet that, and he's got a change of direction ability you don't generally see with guys with absolute top end speed. And he's probably the second fastest guy in the NFL besides Tyree Kill. Um, Although I'm curious who was doing the the timing on that Bleacher Report. Yeah, like, uh, they were all doing that in separate locations. I'm not well, willing to take that one to four, heart. Four two two. Well, and also a four two two <laughs> is like, gosh. Shouldn't he, shouldn't he be done for the rest of the day? Shouldn't he be like laid up? Like I've broken I mean, the sound barrier. Looking. Now, to be fair, I mean we've all seen Hardman when he hits that gear. He can fly. So there's value there. I think one thing with McCole Hardman, I think you'll see more value in him with a better offensive line performance and the Chiefs able to challenge teams more often vertically because all the stuff we said about him last year is still true. It's just after a year in which that stuff didn't develop, I tend to be fairly pessimistic when it comes to certain positions especially when it comes to certain positions, like wide receiver especially. You know, when the the, the question is, you know, how many wide receivers – really broke out, like went from being okay to really, really good in like year four, right? Not that it's never happened, but watching guys develop certain skill sets that quickly, it just normally, if it hasn't happened by year three. So that's why this is a big year for him. All that said, I just really want Julio, Nate. Like, <laughs> I just, I, I get all of that stuff. It, Atlanta's, I, just, I think Atlanta's got too smart of a GM because they kind of like look say what you will Matt Ryan is who he is he makes a lot of money they couldn't even get out of it after next season in the same way the Chiefs could with with Alex Smith rolling out Patrick Mahomes so look they 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 didn't take the quarterback like so the general manager feels secure in his job it's going to yeah. be a it's going to be a Thorough process, similar to what the Miami Dolphins I did, what the Miami Dolph, what the Miami Dolphins did. I can't speak all of a sudden. Um, I, I just think, 
I think the 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 management in Atlanta seems to be competent, which means I'm giving you Julio Jones. Hell, I may want two picks. <laughs> and so and so you're just like, well, play on player. I will see you when I see you. <laughs> what's the what's the conversation like? So look, if you're a Chiefs fan, have improbable things happen in your favor, of course. Andy Reid kind of alluded to it yesterday with the whole Jaron Reed situation. Um, and we've obviously talked about that before. But to get Julio Jones would take it, it would take a lot right now as we sit here on May 28th. Um, I just think the Falcons want one of those wild card teams that you're just not sure if one or two things doesn't go right, even with Julio Jones added to that roster, that pick becomes even more valuable. Can't say that about uh, the Chiefs. Can't. That, that does make sense. You just can't. I mean, you just, you literally just yeah. like, again, I haven't even named this person on the podcast, but somebody before the schedule came out where people actually go, okay, but that's after Christmas. They may need that game more than us. That's ah, a loss. Okay. But we coming back and beating them on this day. Okay. All right. When, when is that? You know, that that's usually when that team starts to struggle. And look, I like the matchup again. Like, people actually, like, my dad is one of those folks that was like, mm, I don't like week seven. Just, I just, I just don't feel it. I don't feel good about week seven. And it's like, dad, like, that's, that's, that's months from now. <laughs> but anyway, somebody in the Chiefs organization was like, put us down for 12. What, we playing 17 now? Put us down for 12 before we even know when we playing these teams. So <laughs> if, if somebody in the organization is saying that, you know, yeah. off the record, basically, um, then the Falcons have to know that pick at best 26. Right. That's all really a good point. <laughs> I just I and I am not I haven't closed the door on McCole Hardman and I really like Cornell Powell. It's just you know me, I'm here for the chaos. I'm here for the video game offense. I think the Chiefs have the opportunity to be historic um with any move they make, you know? And so it it's just nice to think about. Uh Seth, let's let's talk about something else nice to think about as we hopefully lead people into a nice long weekend. You wrote about Jamal Charles up on the Chiefs newsletter. Yes. MNChiefsFan.substack.com. You can go to bit.ly slash Seth Hates Money if you'd prefer to go there. It also still works. But or, you, bit, or bit.ly slash Seth Really Hates Money. Yeah. If yes. you want to go right to the deal that to where it's $12 a year forever. Yeah, I, I I don't know if there's an, if if I would be too many characters to do bit.ly slash you are literally taking money out of the <laughs> food out of the mouths of Seth's children, but I I think that you are might be too long, even though it would not be inaccurate or inaccurate even. Uh, but you wrote about Jamal Charles and what I will call the definitive Hall of Fame case being made for Jamal Charles. And uh, you know, just like some of the great ones need to do, sometimes I'm just gonna dish it out and I'm just gonna let the great ones cook. That's you, Seth. <laughs> Seth with us? Did we lose Seth? Is Seth, oh, no, Seth <laughs> still, he still says he's there. I I'm still, now. We knew. I'm, now. I'm not sure what's Sorry. happening right now. I'll tell you this, Nate. Before, before the before the show, before the show, <laughs> Seth was like, 
Seth was like, hey, my computer. Shut up, Seth. You had your chance. <laughs> Seth was like, hey, man, just want to warn you guys. My computer's doing some weird stuff, so I'll refresh or whatever. So I, but I, I checked the Zoom, and, and Seth, you were, you were still – what happened there, Seth? I, 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 I dished you to the corner, and, and, the ball, and the ball just went right past your ear. No, it was – my, my internet went unstable for a second. So you'd call it the definitive, and then it went out for a minute. But I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm I called good you now. a great one and invited you to talk about Jamal Charles for as long as we've got left in the show. Oh my goodness! And my wife just said she's picking up Tucker, so I got time. Um, oh God! Well, I I still have to go within the next forty five minutes. So let's go ahead and try to keep okay. that five ish minute window. <laughs> so I, I yes, I would love to talk about Jamal Charles. Um, I'm trying to think because you know I've talked about Jamal Charles a lot, and the big thing is the the article that's up on the Chief of North newsletter right now is designed to demonstrate to people why the arguments against Jamal Charles being a Hall of Famer don't. They're not dispositive. They don't close the door. You know, like saying he only had five great seasons. If you say that that's the end-all be-all, and that means someone cannot be in the Hall of Fame, that means you're taking out Gail Sayers, Earl Campbell, Marcus Allen, Larry Zonka, Terrell Davis, and a bunch of other guys. And I don't think anyone's saying that Gail Sayers doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Like, who are these people? Like, no one's out here saying that Earl Campbell shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, right? And so the, the real thing is that if you only have, say, five great seasons, there should be some other stuff. And that's and so the article breaks down a ton more, just talking about, you know, these arguments that, you know, he didn't have postseason success or that he didn't rush for enough total yards. I, the, the comparison I made is like, look, has Patrick Mahomes' career been more impressive than Drew Bledsoe's or Vinny Testaverde's? <sighs> Definitely been more impressive than Troy Aikman's. So, yeah, knew it was coming. Three one. Oh, there it goes. There it is. There's a deep drive to left. It's a so, four nothing ball game, and I would like to continue apologizing um, and promoting Jamal Charles' Hall of Fame case. And so, it's not the Hall of Longevity. Being a good player for 20 years is not the same thing as being a great player for 10 years. Right there, there are wide receivers that played the game a lot longer than Calvin Johnson. Did anyone even twitch when Johnson made the hall? No, nope. when he's referred to as one of the greatest receivers in history. By the way, do yourself a favor: YouTube Calvin Johnson highlights. That dude. <laughs> oh, oh! If you wanted, if he wanted to play, I would I would I would invite the Chiefs to give him a call if you wanted. Maybe maybe, yeah. maybe we'll try to get a ring this time. Man, he's like what, like thirty four? I'm about to find out. I definitely think he's going to be younger than you'd think. Yeah, thirty five. Yeah, he's thirty five. Man, call Patrick. Call up Calvin Johnson. (laughs) That would be hilarious. I'm all for chaos theory. So anyway, those arguments that are against Charles, oh, he wasn't great long enough. It's like that. That has not. He was great long enough to make the hall. He was based on who's already in there. And so then you've got to ask yourself, okay, is there a reason why? we should say there was something special about him. So like Terrell Davis gets in there because of all his postseason success. Gail Sayers gets in there because he was just that great, right? Like uh, same with Earl Campbell. Uh, Marcus Allen, um, there's extenuating circumstances why he only rushed for over a thousand yards three times. Earl Davis! In, in his whole career, yeah. yeah. Well, and, 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 and everyone gets that, right? And that's the thing where like, I mean, if we're going to talk about extenuating circumstances, how about the fact that his, for the first year and a half of Jamal Charles' career, he averaged like four touches a game. And like the one time he started a game in 2008, he ran for like 120 yards. 
I mean, he was, he, it was easy to see what he had to offer. But the biggest thing is we, everyone knows Jamal Charles is the all-time leader in yards per carry. Everyone knows that. It, and it's not all-time greats like Walter Payton and Barry Sanders, Jim Brown, these guys. It is Jamal Charles. That's an important stat. But now we, we live in an age where we've got more information available than ever, like expected points added, yes. right? That kind of stuff. Yes. But when you, look at, when you look at that, you see that Jamal Charles is just above and beyond everyone for this last decade. Everyone. When you combine yards per carry with expected points added. Whatever running back you just named, yep, yep, better than that guy too. What, whoever. But what about, yep, doesn't matter. Yes. By the way, shout out to Maurice. Uh, Jones Drew on this chart. <laughs> yes, Maurice Jones Drew. Man, Maurice Jones Drew could play. He could play. And so even more so, even more so, um, Michigan Football Analytics is an account that 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 took into account, um, and I don't want to get too deep in the woods here, but yards over expected. Now that we have like data tracking analysis, you can have expected yards based on where everyone is on the field. Like, and that includes, you know, the blockers, the defenders, formation, all this stuff. When the run, when the ball is snapped and when the running back gets the ball, you've got an expected yardage there mm-hmm. based on you know thousands of other snaps, and so you can also look at yardage over expected, right? It's kind of like completion percentage over expected. Mm-hmm. That's the chart that I think one day, when someone's presenting his case to the Hall of Fame committee, and I'll do it, I volunteer. This is the one to show them. Yeah, you talk about yards per carry. You talk about that because that's a stat that everyone understands. But yards over expected, there is a there's this chart, and you gotta look at this because it's really I cannot, great. I cannot overemphasize how much there is Jamal Charles. Big basically, it's like you know all the charts you've seen of this sort, where it's like you know top right is good, bottom left is bad, and right. in between all those charts that exist lately with Patrick Mahomes. Jamal Charles is the Patrick Mahomes of this chart. And the only difference is there's no Drew Brees hanging around nearby. Mm-hmm. There's no anyone. There is Jamal Charles way over yards per expected, way over everyone else. And no one's even close. And, and, and whatever guy you're thinking of, and you're talking over the course of career, he's way better than, than Ingram, Barber, Jones, Drew, Tomlinson, Alexander, Murray, Bettis, Taylor, Adrian Peterson, uh, McAllister, uh, Chris Johnson, Ray Rice, Todd Gurley, whoever you're thinking of, whoever you're thinking of, he's way better than any of them. That should matter because it's a way of objectively quantifying who did the best job creating yards, which is the job of a running back, when you are the best to ever do it, that, that we can track. Because, like, look, Barry Sanders, I'm sure, would, he'd probably be right there, right? Mm-hmm. But those we don't have that data for him. But when you know you were the best to do it for a period of, like, of, of, of over the course of the last, like, 25 years, that matters. When you're easily the best of your generation, that matters. And then I'll, I'll I'll throw it to you guys, but I will just say, um, all you had to do was watch Jamal Charles. Yeah, that, that, yeah, 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 that was gonna be my point. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> that, like the the yeah. the two things that come to mind, and Seth, um, you know, we may have to, you know, uh, save this audio file and, and send it to uh, Canton, Ohio, mm-hmm. or whenever yes. the committee actually, you know, the committee actually comes together. And I know this um, from you know my friendship with Therese, how much it. How much Super Bowl week really didn't mean much about the game until Saturday because the amount of information and 
trying to put a guy's career, um, you know, against other, you know, just great people, just great players mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame committee during the Super Bowl. And then, you know, in normal years, you'd get the knock on the door if you were if you were allowed to enter into the hall based on the vote from, uh, you know, those media members. I mean, look, it's we can as humans forget the eye test. I I, mm-hmm. I I completely agree with you on the stats. I mean, the chart's insane. Um, but you want those two things to match. And the eye test to me is what, I mean, the things he did to the Seattle Seahawks was just criminal. We look, and I always like to say this too, like, you know, this is a little bit more basketball related or, or more baseball where it's like, hey, man, that guy on the mound, uh, <laughs> it don't, it doesn't even matter that he has seven dudes behind him too. Like, right. if it was just me and him, I still the odds still ain't in my advantage. Um, <laughs> and it's the same in basketball where it's like, all right, boys, time out. Everybody, look at the clock. <sighs> if Steph Curry gets this ball, we in a world of trouble, fellas. <laughs> if if Michael Jordan pushes off, they not gonna call a foul on him. <laughs> so, in a lot of times. What Hall of Fame means to me is everybody know you get yes. no ball and it doesn't matter. Yes. So I would like to I would like to nominate what he did to the Seattle Seahawks as they were rising on that side of the football to like legendary status. And God bless their little hearts in Oakland. But when but when Andy Reid was just like why would I call anything else other than a screen to Jamal Charles? Like, why would I call anything else? They know it. I know it. He's still going to get the end zone. So he, the postseason success weighs heavily on us. And that's understandable. It's because we remember it at the end. And that's what everybody is ultimately striving and playing for. But guys, sometimes there's just great dudes on not great teams and Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be penalized for that because what are our eyes telling me? Look like there again, I would highly recommend you read the story by Seth and obviously, you know, subscribe to the Substack. but like you read his words and in the, the gifts are right there where it's like, Mm -hmm. hold on, let me just stop it. How does he get past this guy? And then I click, wow. Wow! <laughs> just go wow, <laughs> and so that that's that would be my point. It's just sometimes stats I test and look. You can be really great on a not great team, and that doesn't prevent you. That shouldn't prevent you from having a legitimate Hall of Fame case. Right. I, I'm gonna as the uh, as this show's representative of the running backs very rarely matter committee. I'm trying to soften it because I don't want to get sloganed, you know. Um, this two two little things from this chart that Seth was mentioning, which you can you can read there, um, and and you can also see from the the Michigan Football Analytics Twitter account. If you look at it by expected points added per rush, this is every player with a minimum of fourteen hundred carries from nineteen ninety nine through twenty twenty. Every single running back on this list, except for Jamal Charles, has a sub zero EPA per rush which means that they're all in the negatives. Jamal Charles is way above that cutoff, way up there. His I, rushing yards over expected per rush. The difference on the chart, if you just kind of go from one dot to another, the difference from Jamal Charles all the way down to Adrian Peterson is the same distance, approximately, as Adrian Peterson down to Cedric Benson. 
Yep. That's the gap. It's unbelievable. Uh, truly, from this range of, of all players you'd know, all of these guys you know because of the amount of work that they got, yep. running backs do not move the needle on their own in modern football history with literally one exception. Mm-hmm. It's Jamal Charles. That part, to me, I think is the most con- – not that I needed to be convinced terribly because I did watch him play football, but I think <laughs> that might be the most convincing thing. Like Adam Vinatieri is going to end up being a, a Hall of Famer as a kicker because he was incredible at it for a really long time. And you go, well, all right, for I'll add a kicker in. Some of my tendencies at this point are like, really? How many running backs are we going to put in? Like, how, what's the difference? Like, I'm, that, that's how that's how corrupted I've mean, become. I mean, <laughs> let's be real, Josh. They're going to put Adrian Peterson in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, then he probably and he the belongs there. Frank Gore. Absolutely. Because you say, because yeah. Seth, you said, and I know we got to wrap this up, but you know, you said it, longevity is not is not an elite trait or whatever. But also, mm-hmm. Frank Gore gets in the Hall of Fame. I'm not going to be mad at it because he did play an incredibly physically demanding position at a high level for, like, my entire life, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, oh. that, that is really impressive. He, he would be the outlier for me in terms of longevity getting you there. Jamal Charles yeah. would be the outlier for me being, oh, God, he really was a totally different type of player at this position. I don't really care how long he did it for. He did it long enough to prove to me that it wasn't a fluke. Therefore, right. I'd be in on, on Jamal Charles in the Hall of Fame. It, it's worth noting that this chart, it, it's limited to running backs. It's between 1999 and 2020 with a minimum of 1,400 rushes. Yeah, so and if what I could they just say there, really quick also, it's from 1999 to 2020, minimum of 1,400 rushes, just like I said, like 30 seconds ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it, uh, but it accounts for that thing that you talk about in terms of longevity because anyone can have one great season. Right. But Charles was like that his whole career. The The only thing I'd note to add to the just watching him play is a lot of guys got great-looking highlights. Mm-hmm. With Charles, it really was every time he touched the ball. Yeah. Like if he wasn't hit the moment he touched the ball, he created yards. Like – and 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 that that was the incredible thing. It was snap after snap after snap that every time he got the ball, and this is very different. And we know now why it felt different um, because most running backs, you don't know what's going to happen. It's probably going to be like maybe a four yard gain. When he was tackled for less than five yards, I was surprised. And it was snap after snap and, and that, after snap and, after snap. And that was and, his average, kids. His I average. Know. <laughs> and, and, it's crazy. And, and that's the thing is like just watching him play game after game. It wasn't just his highlights. It wasn't just big plays. It was somehow turning three yard losses into five yard gains, play after play after play. Like I really am of the opinion that, like you said, Nate, you know, the eye test should matter at a certain point. And no one watching Jamal Charles would say he was anything other than great. Mm. And I don't know what the Hall of Fame is there to celebrate if not for greatness, especially greatness that's backed up at a historically, uh, objectively historic level. And so I I just, and, and, you know, plus he's my favorite player. So, I mean, they should take that into consideration. (laughs) Um, But no, he, he's, he's the last, he's, he's the last player that, that I, that I cried. When 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 his career ended, because I just I, I I was so sad when they didn't bring him back um, off of injured reserve that year because I knew it was over, and it was just like he's such a great player and he genuinely one day we're gonna have a hard time describing like Tyreek Hill's speed to people that just didn't see it playing and play out. 
it's the same thing with Charles. Like when you try to describe what made him so great, highlights do not capture it. One one recommendation, um, if you really care about Jamal Charles, uh, you should look up his Special Olympics speech from 2015. Um, Because from a narrative story standpoint, um, not that it's like super imperative, um, but his story, even to getting to the NFL, let alone Mm -hmm. being this successful, is like, is is truly remarkable. And so I would recommend folks, um, so I've listened to it a couple times, and you can watch it on YouTube, but like his, his speech. At the Special Olympics in 2015 is is one of the things that always comes to mind when Jamal Charles's name is mentioned. Yep, and there's a link to that actually in uh, in Seth's story there because you have a little yes. snippet of it, and you can there's a little hyperlink in the body that you can mm-hmm. click there, and uh, and you can watch it. Just go through the uh, through the story there at uh, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. We'll wrap it up there. You can follow all of us on Twitter again, uh, mnchiefsfan.substack.com, and at real mnchiefsfan for Seth and for him to tweet sad things whenever the Chiefs don't trade for Julio Jones. I'm at JB Briscoe uh, to tweet sad things whenever the Chiefs don't sign Bashad Breland, and I also do lots of other things. You can find all through the Twitter. Uh, Nate is at by Nate Taylor. You can, of course, read his new piece about the early OTA takeaways at The Athletic. Dot com. And with that, I think, Nate, I'll let you take us away. Yeah, uh, I don't really have anything planned other than, <laughs> you know, if you call somebody, just tell them that it's not recorded. Oh, my but, God, you've got to. You've, you, listen, man, you know what? You might not have anything. I, I, if you it, listen, it, listen here, both of you guys, anybody listening right now, if you had my phone number and you call me and I'm on speakerphone with an earshot of anyone, anywhere, anywhere. Anywhere. And your first words aren't, hey man, I got you on speakerphone and womp 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 is over here. If those are the first words out of your mouth, never call me again. I, I, might, I might say some things. I don't know. I want to know my audience, man. I'm just going to talk differently. I don't want to accidentally throw somebody under the bus while they can hear me. I want to talk behind people's backs. Who doesn't want to do that? It's, it's There's nothing better than saying, I didn't really have anything planned and then, and then the plan working out. God, Shannon Sharp is the worst. To perfection.